Scripture reading this morning will come from the third chapter and read the first seven verses. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. I want to quickly begin by reminding you that uh, tonight during VBS, there will be an adult Bible class offered. Uh, tonight's service will be a little different. At 6 o'clock, we'll meet and gather in here for, for our, a devotional time. At 6.30, we'll, we'll stop briefly for the uh, VBS to be uh, finally assembled and for those uh, visitors that are coming in. And then VBS will start at 6.45. At 7.15, we will have our first adult Bible class here in the auditorium. It will be taught by Brother Gene Clower tonight. And every night this week, and I pointed in the wrong place because they've moved up here now. Uh, and every night this week during VBS, there will be an adult class in the auditorium. So I want to make sure that as an adult, you know VBS is not limited to just the kids. There are offerings also for you. So please make plans to join us tonight. Do you remember as a child playing follow the leader? Was that, that ever a game you played? Because it's one of those games that requires no setup. It's one of those games you can pull out of your pocket and play anywhere, anytime. And, and it's been a, a game that's been passed down through the generations. I mean, the rules of the game are quite simple. One kid has chosen to be the leader. All the other kids line up behind him. And the leader goes around doing all these different odd activities or poses or different things. And the kids behind him have to imitate those things. If a kid fails to imitate the leader, kid's out. And the last kid standing gets to be the next leader. Real simple game. And when you're the leader, you try to do the most oddball stuff you can come up with. When you're the leader, you try to do anything that will embarrass the other kids behind you. You do anything that could try to injure the kids behind you because you just want to make them mess up. But what do you do when you don't have a leader to follow? That's the question I want us to contemplate for the next few weeks. What do you do when there's no leader to follow? I pose that question and use the illustration of the game Follow the Leader because I believe leadership is an issue in the church. See, spiritual leadership is specifically assigned to a certain segment of the church's population, and statistics show that that particular segment of the church's population is waning. So throughout the Bible... Men, men are repeatedly assigned the role of spiritual leadership in the home and in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul said that the head of a wife is her husband, indicating that in the marriage relationship, men are expected to be the spiritual leader. And then if you go over to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul instructed fathers 
to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, thus indicating that in the parent-child relationship, men are expected to be the spiritual leaders. And if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, as Paul provided some instructions regarding gender roles and responsibilities in the context of the church community, he said, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. And those instructions indicate that in the church setting, men are expected to be the spiritual leaders through roles such as that of elders and deacons, which Paul will then provide information about in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. But unfortunately, ever since Adam failed to intervene, even though he was with Eve when she ate that forbidden fruit, men have failed to fulfill their responsibility to be spiritual leaders. And this failure is compounded today by the fact that men are less and less involved in the life of the church. There's a book I came across in preparation for this lesson and this series. It's called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And in it, author David Murrow presents some startling statistics regarding men and the church. According to research done by the Barner Group, 90% of American men claim belief in God. Five out of six call themselves Christians, but just two out of six, or one-third of the men in the United States, claim to have attended church in the previous week. By combining figures from the U.S. Census and a study by Barner Research, the author of the book I mentioned a moment ago, said that we can estimate a weekly gender gap of more than 13 million in America's churches. Meaning there are 13 million more women going to church than there are men in the United States. The U.S. Congregational Life Survey concurs with those statistics. It says that while the U.S. population is split fairly evenly between men and women, there are more women, 61%, than men, 39%, in the pews. This difference is found in every age category, so the fact that women live longer than men does not explain the gender difference in religious participation. Same book goes on to indicate that researcher George Barna of the Barna Group found that women are 100% more likely to be involved in discipleship, 57% more likely to participate in adult Sunday school, 39% more likely to have a devotional time or quiet time, 33% more likely to volunteer for a church, 29% more likely to read the Bible, attend church, and share their faith with others. The point is, that in general, across all religious groups associated with Christianity, men are waning. So for the month of June, we're going to engage in a series of lessons specifically directed toward men that is intended to remind us of our God-given responsibilities and hopefully will challenge us to fulfill them. We're going to focus each Sunday on one of four specific arenas of male spiritual leadership. We're going to focus in the context of the church on the role of that of elders and deacons. And then we're going to focus on that in the home of husbands and fathers. And for today, I've decided to start from the top with that of elders. 
If you are unfamiliar with the organization of our congregation, we are overseen by a group of men called elders or shepherds or overseers. Those terms are used interchangeably in the Bible in reference to the highest form of congregational governments by humans that God authorized. Here at the Buford Church of Christ, we are currently shepherded and overseen by eight men who donned the title of elder. But since the inception of this particular congregation, 25 different men have served in this capacity. What does the Bible say about congregational leadership? That's the question that we want to begin with today. And really, I, just, I want to boil it down to two things to start with. First, I want you to notice that God assigned congregational leadership to men, not women. And right when you hear that, I know some of you men want to give a good, like Tim Allen in Home Improvement or something like that. This isn't supposed to be like a, uh, a demeaning thing to women, though. This isn't meant to be, hey, we're better than you women. No. This is just God's design for spiritual leadership in the church. See, if you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Brother James read that just a moment ago. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first seven verses, we're, giving, we're given these instructions about those who are going to be the leaders within the church. We're given these qualifications about elders. And if you read through those seven verses, you'll notice that there are some particular pronouns used. Starting in verse 1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You'll notice in verse 4, he must manage his own household well. You'll notice in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. And in verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Now, why is there this emphasis on he? It's because God designed the church to be led by men. And if you look at the qualifications, there is one particular statement that indicates gender specificity here. It's a statement that appears in verse 2. It's a qualification that says he must be the husband of one wife. The Greek here could literally be translated as this. A one-woman man. A one-woman man. The point is, the terminology there in verse 2 is very specific about the gender of which a man, an individual could be qualified to serve as an elder. The Greek is explicit that an overseer will be a male. Now, why did God design the church to be led by men rather than women? Is it because women are not as intelligent as men? Definitely not. Look through the Bible. You'll come across a story about a woman named Abigail. And Abigail's wisdom prevented David from vengefully killing Nabal. It illustrates the ability of any woman to be more intelligent than a man. Did God assign this role to men because women are incapable of leading? Certainly not. Go to Judges chapter 4. There's this woman there named Deborah. And she has a tenure as a prophetess and was judging Israel when they were under Canaanite rule. And that dismisses the possibility that women can't lead, that, that limit, women are incapable of leading, I should say. Did God design it this way because women are spiritually less mature than men? Absolutely not. 
What man would dare claim that he's more spiritually mature than a teenage Mary who responded to the most unique assignment ever, been, ever given by God to a human being by saying, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Ultimately, all we can say regarding God's decision to limit congregational leadership to men is that this limitation falls under the realm of his divine prerogative. As the omniscient, omnipotent creator and sustainer of all that is and was and ever will be, he has the right to dictate how he wants things done, and we should not presume that we can or should understand all of his reasoning. My point is, God said he wants it this way, so be it. And do you understand what this means? Since God has said, here's who can be leaders within the congregation. Here's who can fulfill this role that we call elders, shepherds, or overseers. Because he has limited it men, this means that only men can be elders, which in turn means that the church's pool of potential leaders is much smaller than what would be available out in the world. There are 415 baptized adult members on our roster as of this weekend. 55% of those baptized adults are women, and 45% are men. That may not seem like a big gap, but according to the research from the book I mentioned earlier, a congregation is gender gap, meaning that there is a, a distinct difference in the number of people per gender when they hit the point that there are 56% women in the congregation at 55. We are, for all purposes, just like every other church in America, gender gapped. And that means we have less men to pull from than we would if we were a secular organization. Or, I shouldn't say, we have less people to pull from for positions of leadership than we would if we were a secular organization. See, men, we are already at a disadvantage because there are fewer of us in this congregation to fulfill the responsibilities that God specifically and strictly gave to us. And yes, I'm focused on elders right now. But that same pool that's already 10% less than the women also has to fill all of the responsibilities that take place up here in leading worship and the roles of deacons and the role of ministers and so on. Adult Bible class teachers, let's not forget that one. We're already at a disadvantage, men. We're already lower in number than the women here. And so, since there are fewer men in the church than women, and since men are the only ones who can serve as elders, according to God's word, that means the men that are here must step up. We men have to stop avoiding leadership responsibilities. We have to stop sitting on the sidelines because we need each and every one of us. We need to lead because that's the assignment God gave us. And it's not a discredit to the women here because we have some amazing ladies in this congregation who work so hard, who teach so well, who are so biblically intelligent, and who are so gifted in ways that I can't imagine. 
And they keep this church going in so many ways. But, but men, it's our responsibility to lead. We've got to stop just sitting in the pews and being a bystander and enjoying our participation in the crowd. We've got to start leading. And here's the other thing when it comes to congregational leadership you've got to understand. Is that God not only assigned it to men, but he designed it to be collegial, not individual. And yes, I just sounded really smart because I used a word that doesn't get used very often. Now, I didn't look this word up. It was in the, the material I studied for this week, but it was such a perfect term when I discovered its definition. Because the term collegial, it means relating to or involving shared responsibility as among a group of colleagues. In other words, collegial means that God designed the church to be led by a group rather than an individual. Journey through the New Testament, and you'll discover that churches always had more than one elder. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, plural, in every church they planted on their first missionary journey. According to Acts chapter 15, and verse 2, a delegation from the church in Antioch went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders, plural, of the church in Jerusalem to address a theological debate that had arisen due to interactions between the two congregations. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, Paul called the elders, plural, of the church in Ephesus to meet with him so that he could encourage them. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul addressed this letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers. That's another term that is interchangeable with elders. And it's plural to all the overseers and deacons. According to Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul left Titus in Crete to appoint elders, plural, in every town. In James chapter 5 and verse 14, James instructed Christians to call for the elders, plural, of the church to pray over them when they are sick. And I know you're tired of me doing this, but 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Peter, a self-identified fellow elder, encouraged the elders among you, plural, to willingly and eagerly shepherd the flock of God. In the handful of passages where the term elder singular appears. It's either in a non-technical sense for an older person, in a representative sense for a person as part of a group of elders, or in a specialized sense as a title of honor, such as in John's own writing of 2nd and 3rd John. The point is, the Bible consistently and clearly presents congregational leadership as a collegial group rather than an individual person. As you can see as the background of my slide, I have the images of the eight men who serve as elders at this congregation. One more and we can have a Brady Bunch. Actually, I put these pictures in black and white initially. I converted them to black and white, but it looked like mug shots, so I decided not to go that way. <laughs> My next elders meeting is going to be wonderful. Eight men fulfill this role collectively, not individually. And I often wondered, why does God, or why did God design the church to be led by a group rather than a person? Because in most organizations today, in most governments today, it's a single person ruling, right? We operate with, primarily, with a president, even though there, we have an accountability system that involves Congress and the Supreme Court and things like that. Most businesses have a single CEO, 
Why is it that God decided for the church to be led by a group instead of an individual? The best answer I ever came across came from a book called The Church of Christ, A Biblical Ecclesiology for Today by Dr. Everett Ferguson. And here's his explanation. A singular leadership is more efficient. So governments and armies want a single commander, and businesses and institutions want a single executive. But Jewish and Christian communities followed a different pattern. Where the goal is not efficiency but spiritual growth, there is a plural leadership. There, a plural leadership offers the advantage of multiple examples and the opportunity for understanding and judgment drawn from collective experience. The point is, God knew what he was doing. God understood that when it came to the purpose of the church, which is a spiritual purpose, not an economic purpose, not a military purpose, not a government purpose, but a spiritual purpose. The more men, the better. Because their shared experience helps them reach the best judgment. Do you understand what this means, though? This means that more than one man will always be needed to sustain the church's leadership. Many churches have been forced to dissolve their eldership or to go without an eldership because not enough men were available or qualified or willing to take on this leadership role. So when current leaders resign or become disqualified, there will always be a need for new leaders to take their place. Men were already at a disadvantage numerically. But you also have to realize that we can't just have one individual as an elder. We're always going to need a group. That means we're always going to need more than one of us to step up. We've got to start taking seriously our responsibility as leaders. And so the first two things I want to point out about elders is that only men can fulfill that role, and only men, plural, can fill that role. It's both a responsibility that was assigned to a specific gender and a responsibility that was designed for more than one person. So we're always going to need men. But that brings us to something else that's important. Why, can't, why, why is it so hard for us to find men who are willing to assume this position of leadership? And not just us, but churches around the globe. Why is it so hard to find men who are willing to assume this position? I think it's because it's such a unique position. And there are four things I want to point out as I try to hurry through the rest of the sermon. Four things I want to point out about this role that I think have a tendency to cause some men to avoid it. The first thing is that this is a leadership position for which one must be qualified. There are two lists of qualifications for elders in the New Testament. The first is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The second is in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And from these two lists, we discover about two dozen qualifications of those who will serve as elders. Most of the qualifications have to do with character and habits and temperament. 
There are other qualifications that relate to experience, such as the not a recent convert in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. Some that deal with reputation, such as being well thought of by outsiders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. Some that deal with intellect, such as being able to teach in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. And then also some that deal with domestic relationships, such as the case with being the husband of one wife and having believing children and such, which are in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2, verse 4, and Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. I don't intend to go into all these qualifications and explain them and define them. And we just need to realize that they exist. We don't need to be afraid of them. See, sometimes what we do with these qualifications is we elevate them so high that nobody can reach them. But then we sometimes do the exact opposite. We break them down so low that they lose their meaning. We need to respect God's word that he gave these qualifications intentionally and we need to utilize these qualifications that he gave when it comes time for us to select men for this role. But we don't need to be scared of them. And I'm afraid that many men avoid becoming elders because they don't want to be held to this standard. I mean, one of the qualifications is being blameless, right? And I'm afraid sometimes men stay away as far as they can because they don't want somebody examining them based on this list. I want to let you in on a little secret. Okay? Not, not many people know this, so, so keep this between us, right? And whoever is online. Um, aside from the domestic qualifications, being a husband of one wife, believing children, and aside from the able to teach one, and aside from one other, let me find it real quick. Uh, the not a recent convert. Guess what? Everyone in this room is expected to meet the other qualifications. Read your Bible. You're supposed to be blameless. You're supposed to be self-controlled. You're supposed to be well thought of by outsiders. Every one of us is supposed to be pursuing this list of qualifications other than the four I mentioned. The ones that do with your family, the ones that do with, do with teaching, the ones that do with the recency of your conversion, and the one that has to do with uh, marriage. Outside of those, it's your responsibility to meet those qualifications. So quit running from them. Men, women alike, don't run from these qualifications. They're here to help us select men who can lead, but they're also here to remind us of our God-given call to follow Him. It's your responsibility to meet these qualifications too. So don't let that be an excuse for why, men, you choose not to become an elder, because you ought to be seeking these out anyway. You know something else about this role, this position? This is a, this is a position for which one must be appointed. I hadn't really thought about this much, but if you look at Acts chapter 14, when, when Paul and Barnabas are journeying through these towns on, his first mission, on the first missionary journey, they would establish the congregation, journey to the next town, and then they backtrack through the same towns they just came through. And when they backtrack, Acts chapter 14 verse 23 tells us they appointed elders in every church. That word appointed stood out to me. The fact that elders were appointed implies that this is a role for which men are selected or chosen by others rather than a role that is won or earned 
or self-designated. This means that becoming an elder is not a personal achievement per se. It's a God-honoring, God-directed, God-blessed opportunity. I think that's why Peter instructed his fellow elders in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, not to exercise oversight for shameful gain and not to be domineering over those in your charge. His instructions indicate that the eldership is not a position that one utilizes for personal gain, either to accumulate wealth or to accumulate power. It comes down to this. Being an elder is not about you. It's about the chief shepherd. And it's about the sheep. So the fact that elders are appointed and not won or earned or self-designated is a reminder that this position is not intended to be viewed as a personal achievement. And I wonder if that's the reason some men don't want to become elders. Because it is essentially a prestigeless position. If you really think about it, in the context of the world, being an elder has no prestige. Only in the kingdom of God does it have prestige. There are eight men in this audience currently serving as elders. Is it a thankless position sometimes? Is it a position in which you get more um, criticism than thanks sometimes? Absolutely. Because it's a prestigeless position. Sometimes being an elder is a lose-lose. Because you have, to, you have to deal with people. And guess what, people? I'm one of you, and we are awful. We are awful. We make life miserable for some of these men sometimes. You know why? Because we're not that intelligent. We make really silly mistakes, and I almost made one because I really almost fell right there. <laughs> we make really silly mistakes, and we often lack maturity, and we often are so selfish that we can't see the bigger picture. It's not an easy job being an elder, and I don't say that because I've experienced it. I say that because I, t I get a taste of it every once in a while. And I see what these men grapple with. I see what these men pray about. And I see how these men hurt for people who are lost and people who are struggling. And you know what? I see that they're flawed. I see that they make mistakes. Sometimes I step back, and again, my next elders meeting is going to be wonderful. Sometimes I step back and go, that's not a decision I would have made. But I'm also not an elder. This idea of being appointed, it flies against what men are used to in the world. That idea of, I earned it, I'm a champion. It's my prize. It's my position of power. That's not part of being an elder. That flies in the face of being an elder, according to what Peter said in 1 Peter 5. And because it comes with so little prestige, maybe some people just don't want to have to deal with that. This is also a position for which one must, will, be held, will be held accountable. We can't forget this. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's an intimidating passage. And I'm certain it's a passage that the eight men currently serving as elders and the 25, and the, the additional 17 or, or however many it is that previously served as elders didn't take lightly. As sheep in this congregation, we need to recognize that these men have to give an account for the sheep they oversee. The elders will be held accountable for how they care for the spiritual well-being of the flock. That is an intense job assignment. Think about it this way. As members, we only have to give an account for ourselves. Teachers have to give an account for themselves and what they teach, but elders, they have to give an account for themselves and for those whom they oversee. So maybe we need to be a little bit easier on these guys at times. I think that's why Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 and said, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You know, it's so easy to complain and whine and think that they're doing everything wrong, but we're not in their shoes. We're not bearing the, their responsibility. We're not subjecting ourselves to the burden of accountability that they are. And I'm afraid that some don't become elders maybe because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want that responsibility. To some degree, I get that. I've been in ministry for, since 2004. It's not a real long time. But I've been around several groups of elders by this point. And I've often sat back and thought, man, I don't know if I want to be an elder one day. Being a minister is hard enough. I don't know if I want to be an elder one day. But another thought crossed my mind. When I stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, if I'm qualified and asked to be an elder, I may have to give an account for why I refused it, just as much as I'd have to give an account if I were one. The accountability isn't limited to just taking on the job. The accountability might also be there for those who are capable, qualified, and just refuse. I don't want to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I know you created me and equipped me to do this good work in your kingdom, but I just didn't want to do it. I, I don't think that's going to go well. Did it go well for that one-talent servant who buried his talent? No. He was called wicked, lazy, and worthless, and he was cast into outer darkness. I don't think that's a good choice, personally. And so I'm encouraging you, if your concern is for the accountability, think about the accountability you're going to have if you refuse to ever take on any form of leadership and you're qualified and you're asked. One last thing about elders. An elder is a position for which one must volunteer. The position, the position of an elder is not a position that one enters out of a mere sense of duty. It must be accompanied by a willing desire. 
First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, we've already referenced it, but there Peter said, or instructed his fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. That coincides with the very first qualification that, that Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, where he says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The point that both Peter and Paul are making is that one must first be willing to assume this position. Serving as an elder is never to be a have-to. It must be a want-to. And that tends to be the biggest hurdle when it comes to finding new elders. Many men throughout history of the church have been asked to serve as elders, but they were not willing. Sometimes they're not willing, as I've mentioned, because they, they didn't want to be scrutinized by that list of qualifications. They don't want to be held to that standard of righteous living. But as we've already noted, that list of qualifications, with only a few exceptions, is ultimately applicable to all of us. Sometimes they're not willing because they're intimidated by that accountability, which we just spoke about. But let's not forget, we might have to be accountable for why we refuse to serve the Lord in some capacity as well. And sometimes they aren't willing because they don't want a job that comes with so little prestige. My goal this morning is to share some things the Bible says about elders, but to also challenge the men of this congregation to not be afraid of church leadership positions, to hold themselves accountable to be leaders in the church. And it may not be an elder in your future, but it doesn't mean you can't be a leader close with this. I've, told, I've talked before about Canadian geese. How they find that wonderful V formation that you'll see from time to time. And it's such an incredible act of science. Because it's the most aerodynamic formation possible. The way it works is you have a, one bird in the front and the birds immediately behind him fly a little higher than him. They're in what's called the upwash position. And what happens is that as the front bird flaps its wings it's assisting in the lift of the birds behind it. It's making their load lighter. And so on it goes. As you'll notice, they're, they're always a little higher off the tips of each other's wings. And every bird from front to back is getting a little extra lift from the bird in front of them. But that's kind of unfair to the bird in the front because he's got no one bearing his load. He's got no one helping him out. He's got no one lifting him up. So you know what Canadian geese do? They swap out who's in the lead. They take turns who the front bird will be. We've got eight men serving as elders. We've had 25 total since this church's establishment. A day is going to come when we need more elders. When those men who have been out in front need a break, or need some assistance.
Let's not forget these men, with the exception of one who was just added a couple months ago, had to navigate a pandemic, had to make some real tough decisions about assembling, had to and continue to, to, to seek out sheep who haven't returned yet from the pandemic. We've got a group of seven men who have endured some of the most difficult times in the past several decades as spiritual leaders. Men, who's going to be willing and ready to step up when the time comes? And to all of you, as we close out this lesson and I bring it home for you, let me simply ask, are you leading? Man or woman, it does not matter. Are you leading? Are you leading in your home? Are you leading in your workplace? Are you leading in your community? Are you leading people to Christ? That's the real question. This morning, we gather here as a church family. We examine the Lord's word as it particularly pertains to elders. But it may be that you're here today knowing that you're needing your sins washed away. And we offer the opportunity for you to do that by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, by repenting of your sins, and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. You may need to make that decision today so that you can join the family that is the church. And so that you can secure your salvation this moment. And it may be that you're here today and you recognize some failure in your life after having made that decision that needs to be changed. Whatever your need may be, we extend the Lord's invitation right now. So if you will, come and let us help you.